Well, as last night, actually yesterday afternoon, as I watched what appeared to be pounds of slush coming out of the sky, hitting the ground, I had very little peace about what was going to be uh, awaiting me as I woke up this morning, but it turned out okay. I'm sure maybe you were wondering. I got, I don't know how many phone calls from the city uh, letting me know that the world was coming to an end. And that, at least that's what it appeared to be. I kept getting these phone calls telling me all the bad things that were going to be happening with this storm. So I'm grateful for what we were spared. Hope. Peace. Joy. Love. Those are the four aspirations of Advent. Hope, peace, joy, love. But I wonder, I think perhaps it is this one today, peace, that brings us most face-to-face with the tension of the Advent season that we face. Because we look around and we wonder, where is this peace? You see, it takes courage to embrace Advent and these four aspirations while we're looking at what's the reality around us, while we're, we're living in what is yet, what is, and we're waiting for what is yet to be. We struggle with that tension, but that's exactly where the recipients of the words that you heard the Andres read earlier from 2 Peter, that's exactly where the recipients of those words, we're living as well. But when we hear these words that were attributed to the Apostle Peter, his words are not what we want to read as we tune into Christmas songs and as we light Christmas candles and as we decorate with Christmas lights. Especially on Peace Sunday, we don't want to hear these kind of words. We, we light the candle of peace and we pray for peace so it does not feel like the words from Second Peter provide for us this nice, peaceful, warm feeling that we want to have. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Peace be with you. So that's not perhaps what we want to read. But maybe it's what we need to read. Uh, Perhaps it's here where we truly find and focus on the Prince of Peace who brings peace that empowers us to live in the days we are in as we wait for the days of yet to be. Remember, this is Advent. And the season of Advent is the season of waiting. Uh, The word Advent carries with it the meaning of the arrival of someone or something important. We're waiting for the big day. This is the time of year where we anticipate the big day. Christmas, right? But is that the big day? I mean, it does get all depressed this time of year. Yet our waiting to shout Merry Christmas is a foretaste, if you will, of our waiting for the big day, the really big day of the Lord. And these words 
from Peter, where he talks about the day of the Lord, though, he employs words that feel more like an apocalyptic game that's played in some virtual reality system we can purchase for Christmas. More like that apocalyptic vision than good news. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but you see, we read those words, and it doesn't take much effort to imagine the scene. When we see the destruction and the violence and the upheaval that, that we as human beings are capable of. When we see the suffering that inflicts our world and our lives. When we see the pain that fills our world. We can imagine this scene. But these words aren't given for us to despair. We are not to be swallowed up by that despairing perspective. Because there is good news here. Because the next thing Peter writes is this. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're looking forward. You see, those letters, the, 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 those receiving this letter were anxious about the idea of Jesus returning. In fact, they thought that he should have already returned. That he should have already been back to make all things right. They were looking at their world. They were facing persecution. They were facing critics. They were facing opposition. And they were saying, where is Jesus? Why isn't he coming back? They thought it should have already happened. And they were wondering how to deal with the hardship and the suffering and the people in their world. A world much like ours. How much more, I wonder, are we wanting Jesus to return, I wonder? Reading these words that we hear, it is easy to look at the landscape of the world and to look for an escape hatch that we call the second coming of Christ. But is that what this is about? Maybe you might remember the Back to Future movies from a whole nother generation and world ago. I'm not so sure I'm old enough, but back in the 80s and 90s, there were these movies, a series of movies, the Back to the Future movies. They, they, then and even now, they're still something of a cult sensation. Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd starred in them. You may recall that Fox's character was a teenager, came from a troubled home. He had struggles at school, and he was buried in a sense of failure. But he goes back in time using the invention of his eccentric scientist friend played by Christopher Lloyd. And he ends up in 1955. But realizing his mistake, he tries to get back to the future. The season of Advent reminds us that in many ways the Christian life is lived as people as one seeking to go back to the future. Because our truest home, in a real sense, is 
the future. The Christian life is always lived with our heart's compass pointed toward the future. Did you hear it? But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We long for that. But what does that have to do with the present? What does that matter today? You heard some of the things we prayed for today, some of the people we've encountered this week, some of the people you've encountered this week, some of the circumstances. What does it have to do with today? And how can this lead us into the peace that the flame of the second candle of Advent proclaims to us? Recently, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, a Christian friend of mine from another state. As we talked about the world we lived in, he, this is what he said to me. You know, Jeff, maybe there's a vaccine for, when there, when there's a vaccine for the pandemic, people will be more compassionate towards one another and things will get better. I thought about that for a moment. I paused and I answered with words something like this. I said, Tony, I don't think that will happen at all. If we cannot choose to be compassionate and kind and think of others in the midst of a crisis, what makes you think we will do so in the future? And then that caused me to wonder, what kind of person will I be in the future? What kind of person will we be? What kind of people will we be? If you can imagine what your future self would be like, how would you imagine you to be? And that turned my mind to the question that's raised in this passage in verse 11, an Advent question. What kind of people ought you to be? If you want an answer to that question, if you want an answer to the question of what kind of person will I be, begin by choosing to live forward toward that day when the King of Kings comes. Begin by looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. How will I live differently? How do my choices and ambitions and goals and dreams change as I let that future, that reality, shape me and form me? What kind of people ought you to be? He answers for us. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. And there we catch it. Do you see what Peter is describing? He is lifting their sights upward to the nature of the king himself. And in aligning our lives around the nature of God, aligning our lives around the nature of this Prince of Peace, we discover we can be a person at peace with him, he says. And you know, when we are at peace with God, we can live forward. Whatever's happening around us. You see, we can discover peace in this waiting that we have. We are waiting for God. 
Listen to your prayers. Listen to my prayers. Listen to our prayers. We are crying out and longing to God. We're waiting for God. But here's a great truth we cannot miss. God is waiting as well. Isaiah 30, verse 18, in the message says it this way. God's not finished. He's waiting around to be gracious to you. He's gathering strength to show mercy to you. God takes the time to do everything right. Everything. Those who wait around for him are the lucky ones. See, part of the problem for these people that were receiving this letter and part of the problem for the person who receives mail in my mailbox with my name on it is this. They wanted God to act now. They want God to intervene now. They want God to show up now. They want God to work on their timetable now. And sometimes I want God to work like that for me now. We can have a rather impetuous approach. We can have a rather impatient approach at times to God. But here's the question. Aren't we glad that God does not have that approach to us? Peter echoes Isaiah in verse 9. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to a changed life. You see, God has a different perspective on the world. Peter writes these words to invite them to stay hopeful by by remembering God's perspective on the world. Do I remember God's perspective on the world? Do I see God's perspective? You see, God is waiting and longing. Hear that. God is waiting and longing. We think that Advent waiting and and longing is about us. It's our idea. No, no, no. That's actually in God's heart. And we actually join in God's heart of waiting and longing. This is the God so loved the world God of such grace. This is the God of relentless, active grace. This is the God of forward-moving grace toward us. And that's such good news for us. See, that's good news because it tells me that God, God is patient with us. Amen. God is patient with me. He is still forming and crafting and shaping and molding you and me to be like Jesus as we trust him. He will bring to completion what he started in me. He will bring to completion what he started in you. That's hopeful. But it's also good news because it tells me the story's not over. Where is it that you need to be reminded that the story's not over? What relationship, what individual in your life, what situation where you need to be reminded the story's not over? 
My friends, the story is not over. We have this God of grace who's patient with us, who's working, who's with us. This is some of the best news for my soul. For those who walk the road of life within him, without him, it tells me he has not given up. He is still at work. And that's grace. It tells me, as we pointed out in midweek, our world is messed up and we are messed up. And that we must lament the wreckage of sin in our world and our lives. And we must long for God to set things right, to make us better. But in our longing, as Bobby Gross said, we wait in hope. We believe that something is happening in our world. That something is taking shape in our lives. That something large and light-filled and life-giving is happening. Even in December's lengthening darkness, this seed of joyful hope grows within us. We are pregnant with it. In our waiting, we are enlarged because God is coming. We believe God is coming. We believe he came in a babe. We believe he's coming again to make all things right. But we believe he's coming right now today to us. It tells me that, as Charles Kussar put it, it would be a disastrously short-sighted thing to assume the world operates without God. God is the God of tenacious, extravagant, patient grace. So grace is offered to us in the waiting. I don't know where you're waiting for God to show up. I don't know. There's some places I'm waiting for God to show up. I, I don't see him working yet. Is there a place like that for you? I don't know where you're waiting. But I want you to know this. You can wait in the posture of receiving. Because he's coming to you with grace. And there is peace in knowing that there's grace for us. His grace is for us. But then... That translates into peace in the living. He asks the question, what kind of people ought you to be as a result of this? As a result of this God who postures this way towards you. As a result of this truth that you know he's going to make all things right. What kind of people ought you to be? Now those who were... Um, dismissing, if you will, the recipients of this letter... We're telling these people to forget about their wide-eyed ideas about this kind of future where everything's made right. If you read the entire letter of 2 Peter, you will see those people described as people who live for themselves and for the present day alone. Forget about that future. Why not indulge yourselves now? Eh, that's just a pipe dream. Religious pipe dream. That's what they were hearing. Hear these words again. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You see, when, when God makes all things right, it is righteousness that characterizes the atmosphere. Whether that atmosphere is the atmosphere of a future when we look for Jesus to come again and make all things right, or whether that's when God makes a person's life right with him. The atmosphere of the heart 
is one of righteousness. Seeking that which is the highest and best good according to God. And that gives us a glimpse of what that means for the way we are to live as we look forward and as we wait. My friends, there is no vaccine that is coming that will vaccinate us against the pandemics we are suffering from. I am not referring to or thinking of the COVID-19 pandemic, but rather the spiritual and social and relational and moral pandemics that 2020 has revealed. You see, in this convergence of cultural and societal disruptions at times, I think we need to be honest. At times, the people we have been should give us pause to consider the kind of people we're going to be moving forward. At least that's true for me. The people we have been should give us pause to consider the kind of people we will be moving forward, both individually and collectively, as a world and a culture. There is no vaccine. There's no vaccine for hatred and strife. There is no vaccine for self-interest and entitlement. There is no vaccine for racism and indifference. There is no vaccine for a lack of compassion. There's only one answer. And we know his name is Jesus, but he has only one plan of distributing a vaccine. And this is his plan. It is people like you. It is people like me. Living in the present in light of what we know is coming by our lives declaring the nature of the king himself. We are the vaccine. As we surrender our lives to the King Jesus, every person, every person has a calling from God to live the life given to them in the fullness of his desire for them. Every person. And this is where we both find that peace and live that peace forward. As we live forward, we live lives that matter. We live lives that matter. Lives that remind the world of King Jesus. So to our world, we become clues. We become clues of the king we are waiting for. We become clues of what the kingdom we hope for to be, is to be. Did you hear the clues? Hope or holy, godly, spotless, blameless. Those were the clues. Holy, godly, spotless, blameless. It's not something that you and I can accomplish in our own strength, not at all. Not in our own power, but in the grace of the God who is always working. Our lives begin to leak. We begin to leak the light of hope and remind the world of Jesus. And that is God's desire for each one of us. This this peace in the living, revealing to the world what it looks like. But that's because of the peace and the believing. Let four words today 
wash over you. Just let them wash over you. At peace with him. At peace with God. That is the promise Jesus offered us, is it not? In John 14, in the New Living Translation, we read, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So, don't be troubled or afraid. And then shortly after that, he promised, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have the opposite of peace. You'll stand on, on, on Peace Sunday on Advent in 2020, and you'll look at your world, and you'll say, in the world, we'll have trouble. But take heart, he said, I have overcome the world. The one we have peace in has overcome the world. Peace in the middle of a world filled with trouble. So what kind of people ought you to be when you have peace in a world that's filled with trouble? When you have peace with God? I'm not talking about happy feelings. I'm not talking about everything working out smoothly. But what kind of people ought we to be when we are at peace with God? The world has plenty of skeptics, plenty of cynics, plenty of critics, plenty of complainers. The recipients of this letter were dealing with people that were cynical about their attempts at faith. They were scoffing at them. They're referred to in the letter as the scoffers. And I imagine those believers receiving this letter struggled I bet you they struggled with being discouraged. I bet you they struggled with the temptation of being cynical in a world like theirs, like we do in a world like ours. We'll talk more about that next week. But in aligning our lives around him, we are offered the lasting peace of Advent that Advent represents, peace with him. In the book of Romans, we read these words, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, remember that grace that keeps coming at us, through which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. A peace that comes from knowing the God who will make all things right and and so we lean into that hope. And our world needs us to. Our world needs us to live forward. Your neighbors need that. Our families need that. And this is why. In the devotional that we've been sharing as a congregation, this past week Scott Daniels shared about the word glory and its Hebrew meaning. He, he pointed out that in the Hebrew, the idea of the word glory refers to, it carries with it the idea of indentation. It carries with it the idea of, of leaving the fingerprints of God. I love that. Let me ask you, have you been indented by the presence of God? 
Has God, has God put his fingerprints on you? The presence of God indents our lives with his peace. Peace with him. And I wonder, could it be that as we live forward by faith and hope, we become the indentation, the fingerprints of God's presence to others in our world? I wonder. The other day I went to the Starbucks at the Merrimack Outlet to get my birthday drink. If you sign up for Starbucks, you get a birthday drink. And here's what's great about the birthday drink. You could do whatever you want with that drink. So I did my best to figure out the drink I could do that would be the most expensive possible drink I could ever drink. I added more stuff to that. I gotta be careful, I'll start adding stuff I don't even know what it is. I'm still trying to figure out what matcha is, but I'm not gonna add that stuff, it just doesn't sound right. But I added up that drink, and it was $6.10 for this drink, man, right? And here's the beauty of it. When I put in birthday drink, it went zero. It was beautiful. I walked out saying, $6 drink. <laughs> right? So I pull out of that, that Starbucks there. If, you, if you're familiar with the, the Merrimack outlet, there, it's on a big hill. And I, and I pulled out of the, the Starbucks, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a right, and just I'm going to go up to the mall itself and, and see what's going on up there. But I kind of confess to you that the extent of my travels to the Merrimack Outlet Mall is on my bicycle because the hill's a good challenge. Because what happens is when I go to the mall for any other reason, I begin to break out. I am, I am any mall. I could break out in hives when I go to the mall. But this day I drove up there and I just wanted to turn around and see what's going on. And I, and I turned, made the turn right in front of the entrance there to the mall and there it was. You probably have saw it. If you've been up there, you've seen it. There it was, planted right there in the ground, a sign spelled H-O-P-E. I stared at that sign. I just stopped there, and I stared at that sign. And I thought to myself, you know what our world needs? Our world needs you and me to be signs planted in our neighborhoods, in our workspaces, in our Zoom meetings, in our social media interactions, in our texts. The world needs us to be signs planted in our families, in our churches, in our relationships. Our world needs us to be signs that are planted, that live different lives, that reveal the hope that we have, the hope that leads to peace. And then you know what I've come to realize is the world won't have to wait for peace on earth and goodwill toward men to show up on Christmas. Because the world will have us. The world will have you. 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 The world will have me. Because we'll be so busy living toward what we know God is doing and wants to do. That will show them what the king looks like. And my friends, 
that is worth living toward today. Living forward with peace. As we come to the table of the Lord this morning, if you're joining us at home, I invite you to prepare your elements. Here in the sanctuary, I invite you to take out this little prepackaged communion piece. You can gently tear back the cellophane on the top. As we come to this table, we're reminded of these words from the great Christmas carol, O Holy Night. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. His gospel is peace because of his relentless, audacious pursuit of us with his grace, his patient grace, his God-so-loved-the-world kind of grace. So it is at this table that we reorient our lives around the peace-giving truth of the gospel of grace. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. The Prince of Peace is with us right now. So we come to this table with gratitude in our hearts for his relentless grace poured out for us and through us, for his indentation on us with his love. All those who are truly desiring a changed life, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. And in unity as his people, we confess our faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And we live in that gospel and we live toward that future. And we can do so because Jesus made it possible for us to be at peace with him. So on the night before Jesus Christ was crucified, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks to the Father and he said, my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread, remembering what he's done for us. Jesus then took the cup and again, he gave thanks to the Father and he gave the cup to his disciples. He said, this is the cup of my new covenant, my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of many. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake with faith in Christ who forgives us of our sins and brings us to peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let us partake in the cup. I invite you just to put those elements in the napkin and you can dispose of that in the garbage can as you're going out the door. But as our worship team comes now, what kind of people 
ought we to be. Let us now go and let us be the peace on earth and goodwill toward men and women and children that Jesus has been to us. And as we do that, we will show the world that coming is a glorious day. That they'll see in us that there's something of a rumor of a future where all things are made right. That even in a world where we've been promised trouble by Jesus himself, we're also promised that he's with us in peace. Let us go into the world and reveal that to our neighbors, our friends, our families, wherever we find ourselves. Let us go in the peace of Christ. Amen.